0: Hello, I'm Jesse Wolves from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church. We're a church seeking to make disciple making disciples of Jesus. Thank you to Life FM for continuing to host us. Today, as we look to God's Word, our reading is 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 to 11, so you can begin looking that up now. This sermon was recorded live at Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church. After reading the passage, we'll hear the children's talk. So if you have children, make sure they're listening. Then we'll go to the sermon. And So let's read 1 Corinthians 15, to 11. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received And now, it's over to the children's talk.
1: Good morning, everybody. Now, we've got a friend here, don't we? We've got to know Albert very well over the last few weeks, haven't we? Okay, what has Albert learnt as we've been looking in the book of John? Ellie? That's right. Albert has learnt to know and believe that Jesus... Is King. Alright. Now that's a very important story to learn. Okay. It's very, very important. And it's, it's proven more than in any other passage. It's proven that Jesus is the real King on Easter Sunday. Because you know what happened? Hannah? He rose. He rose from death. Right, he rose back to life again after he died, meaning he's not just king of sickness. He's not just king over sin. He's king even over death. Okay, now our friend Albert, he really likes stories. Okay, and he really loves Easter. So I'm going to tell you and Albert a story today. Okay, now this this is an Easter story. So there are certain words that I'm going to say during the story and I need you guys to do the actions that go with it, okay? The first one is bunny, okay? That's an Easter word, isn't it? Very good. All right, the other one is hot cross bun, yum, 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 okay? And the third one is chocolate, Alright, chocolate. We're going to rub our tummies. Chocolate. Alright, these are Easter words, aren't they? Alright, I bet they're going to appear in our story. You ready? So whenever you hear it, let's, let's do a little practice. Alright. Bunny. Good. Excellent. Chocolate. Excellent. What about hot crust bun? Good. Excellent. Excellent. Great practicing. Now, those those words are going to appear in our story. You just will listen. Here we go. This is what Easter is all about. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead, Then the disciples went back to their homes. Now, guys, you didn't do any of the actions. What? But but this is the Easter story, and all those words I gave you were Easter Easter words. Isn't isn't Easter all about bunnies and hot cross buns and chocolate? Oh, so this story that I read to you. This is really the meaning of Easter. It doesn't really have anything to do with chocolate or bunnies. Well, maybe you didn't do such a bad job of that story after all. Very good. Guys, this story is important. It's important because it teaches us that Jesus is the king. He's the king of the whole world. See, when God raised him back to life again, God put him right up high as the ruler of the whole world. He's still ruling today. And do you know what? Because he died and was raised back up to life again, he's never going to die again. Jesus lives and he gives life to everybody who trusts in him. That's the real meaning of Easter, isn't it? So during this, during our John series, we've learnt, haven't we, to know and believe that Jesus is King. And we know that more than any other day on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day. Okay? Let's say a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that he lived a perfect life and that he didn't deserve to die. Thank you that because he didn't deserve death, you raised him back to life again. Thank you that we can have life when we trust in him. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Well, why don't we come and pray as well, asking that God would help us as we come to his word, as we continue to think about this most important story. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks again for this day and thanks for your word, which shows us what it is that you have done. We pray that your spirit would be at work in our hearts and in our minds, that we would understand uh, this incredible story, that we would know it to be true, and that we would base all of our lives on it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, history and fiction can be difficult to separate. According to a 2019 article, Marie Antoinette didn't really say, let them eat cake. According to this article in 2019, uh, the quote uh, first appeared in an autobiography by Jean-Jacques Rousseau uh, in 1767, and he attributed it to a great princess. And apparently, Marie Antoinette was just a young girl at the time, and so it wouldn't have been her. Maybe you've heard about the Salem witch trials in the 17th century, and that hundreds of witches were burned at the stake. Well, apparently, only 20 people were executed for witchcraft and none of them were burned The difference between history and fiction can be difficult to spot And so what should we do with the resurrection How can we possibly believe an event which is so outside our experience This morning we've read most of Luke's account of Jesus' resurrection The women found his tomb empty and were told by two men in dazzling clothes, angels, they were told that Jesus had risen like he'd said he would. These women told the disciples and Peter runs to to see what's happened, finding an empty tomb. And then we actually saw Jesus appearing to his disciples, comforting them, eating some fish to prove to them that he was flesh and blood. What are we supposed to do with this? Dismiss it? Because it seems so strange? Reinterpret it to be more in line with our modern sensibilities? Paul wants us to believe it and base our lives on it. He wants us to cling to the incredible resurrection story. Paul did. He called the Corinthian church to do it, and now he's calling us, this Resurrection Sunday, to do it. Cling to the incredible resurrection story. And to cling to the incredible resurrection story, we need to know it. So let's look at what Paul has to say in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 7, our first heading of first importance. Look especially at that first part of verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. He says something very similar back in chapter 11 when he's talking about the Lord's Supper. This was the standard way to talk about the passing down of accepted teaching. Now, when did Paul receive this teaching, this teaching which was accepted by the churches generally? Well, most likely he was taught this creed when he first became a Christian about one or two years after the resurrection. Now, let's play Sherlock Holmes for a moment. Holmes, the the greatest of the private detectives. The questions before us are, how and when was this highly structured creed developed? One way Sherlock Holmes solves his mysteries is to imagine how it might have happened and then work forward from there to see if it makes sense of all the facts in front of them. So let's imagine that the whole resurrection story is a fake. His friends, they'd run away when Jesus was arrested. Peter had ended up denying even knowing him three times. Only John was actually there at the cross of his followers. Only John was there at the cross as he died. None of his closest followers had taken charge of his body. That was left to Joseph of Arimathea. Now the disciples are hidden away in a, in a room they're terrified that they're next and they decide to do something maybe they were motivated by love for Jesus they didn't want his teaching to be forgotten or maybe they just thought that they take this opportunity to invent a religion which would make them hated by both the Jewish and the Roman world because they thought that that's how they'd get power. In the end, their motivation doesn't really matter. They hatched a plan and invented a story. And in 50 days, they managed to convince others to join them. And suddenly, as the crowds are coming into Jerusalem for Pentecost, the great feast, they all come out preaching this same message. They're all on the same wavelength. They know it. They've gone out to deceive everyone. Jesus' resurrection was quickly believed by a gullible crowd and, and soon they managed to condense the central parts of this new religion into a short creed. Does that sound likely? Would Sherlock Holmes nod his head at that explanation? Paul's not writing this part of 1 Corinthians 15. He's not writing this to convince the Corinthians that Jesus rose. They already believe that. He's writing this because he's going to use what they already know and believe to convince them of something else. But for our purposes, this Resurrection Sunday, it's worthwhile to examine those claims to see if they stand up to attack. Are they credible? Can we have confidence in their truthfulness? Or is the resurrection something we can just dismiss and ignore? The way it's structured, it looks as though the creed has been around since almost the very beginning of Christianity. Sorry, it... uh. Sorry, I'll start that again. The way it's structured, it looks like the creed, which has been around since almost the very beginning of Christianity, is in verses 3 to 5. That's where the creed is. And then verses 6 to 7, he expands on it and he gives more evidence for it. So let's, let's go through the creed. What is it? First, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Like we saw on Good Friday, Jesus was the innocent dying for the guilty, taking their punishment. His death was for us, in our place. And the Old Testament is full of shadows and prophecies of his death, anticipating it and giving the people hope of forgiveness through someone else's blood. Second, that he was buried. He really was dead. Joseph of Arimathea really did go to Pilate to request the body, and he really did place Jesus in his tomb. These Roman soldiers knew when someone was dead, they wouldn't have handed him over if he wasn't. Third, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now, this was to be expected. Luke tells the story of two disciples heading from Jerusalem to Emmaus on the Sunday. They'd heard some of the women saying that they had seen angels who who had told them that Jesus was alive. But they were confused and they headed off instead of staying around to work it all out with the others. And then a man starts to walk with them. Now, as we read the story, we know it's Jesus, they don't. And he says, O foolish ones, and slow of hearts to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, what Old Testament scriptures might he have used? Well, maybe Psalm 16.10, where David predicts the coming Saviour, saying, You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, that is the grave, or let your Holy One see corruption. Fourth, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. So he really did appear. Just like his burial was evidence of his real physical death, so his appearances are evidence of his real physical resurrection. This was no mere vision. This wasn't a hallucination that they all had at a drug fueled party. They saw him. They touched him. They ate with him. Peter had experiences with Jesus which forever changed his life. One day, after Jesus had cooked the disciples' breakfast, not many visions do that, he had a conversation with Jesus. Jesus restored him as an apostle after he had denied Jesus three times. But that's not all. Paul mentions the crowd of 500 who saw Jesus at one time. And most of these people, he says, are still alive. Here's an invitation to the Corinthians. If you're doubting these basic things about Christianity, why not go over to them and ask? Now, I wonder if you would do that, if you would say that, if you were making all of this up. And then he appeared to James, Jesus' brother. We're told that while Jesus was alive, his brothers didn't believe in him. And now here's James, believing in Jesus' resurrection, hook, line, and sinker. What could possibly have convinced him to do that if it wasn't true? See, Paul's under no illusions. This is an incredible story. This story, these facts are core. If you want to be a Christian church, This is what you have to believe. That Jesus died, was buried, rose again, and was seen. And this was all according to the scriptures. This wasn't the imagination of the apostles. This was God's plan from the very beginning. Paul says this is of first importance. And in verses 8 to 10, our second heading, he explains how he was changed by the gospel. Paul's life was turned upside down with this reality. He wasn't with Jesus' followers while Jesus was on the cross. He wasn't with them when the women came to the disciples, afraid and confused, because Jesus' body was Uh, Was missing. He wasn't with them for the 40 days when Jesus was walking around appearing to disciples, appearing to the 500, to James and to others. He wasn't there. Where was he? He was with the Pharisees, he was one of their up and comers, he was on the fast track to leadership. He hated these followers of Jesus as they spread this news about Jesus' resurrection. He was there as Stephen, one of uh, those Jesus followers, was arrested and charged with false charges. He was there approving as Stephen was stoned to death. And he was so filled with hatred that he was on his way from Jerusalem to Damascus to arrest anyone who was there, who belonged to this new sect, people who were following Jesus and, bringing, and and to bring them back to Jerusalem. But Paul inserts himself into the story in verses 8 and 9. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles. Unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Paul was powerful. He had the backing of the Jewish religious system. He was the great persecutor of Christians. His reputation had gone before him to Damascus. But then he had an experience with Jesus. We see it happen in Acts 9. A blinding light came, and Jesus spoke, calling him into his service. Let's play Sherlock Holmes again. Why would Paul abandon the powerful group and join the persecuted group? Why go from one of the arresting party to being arrested himself? What could drive him To make so radical a change from breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, as it says in Acts 9, to becoming one of those disciples. Does it seem likely that he would join the losing side for fun? No. Was he convinced by the stories of others? Did he hear the preaching of the apostles, and as he's thinking about it along the road, suddenly he finds that he believed them while he's traveling from Jerusalem to Damascus. That's a bit more likely. But then, why did he say that he had had an encounter with the risen Jesus? He could have become an influential teacher and church planter without that. And to lie about seeing Jesus would go against the faith that he's preaching it has become convinced of. Giving up power to become powerless. See, just using a small amount of common sense, thinking about how people operate, after using that common sense, those options are both so unlikely. The most likely option of all the possibilities is that Paul really did have this experience. Now, at the very least, we can say he believes that he saw a blinding light and heard the voice of Jesus giving him a command, that he believes that he went blind for three days and and suddenly regained his sight after a follower of Jesus, Ananias, prayed for him. Paul preached the resurrection as being of first importance because he was changed by the gospel. And after years of thinking about this myself and and hearing people try to explain all of this away, I can't get away from the conclusion that Paul was being absolutely truthful. He gave up everything for this message. He was beaten, arrested, eventually killed for this message. His life wasn't comfortable he didn't gain power, but he never abandoned Jesus. He never gave up. He utterly believed it was true because he had an experience with the risen Lord Jesus Christ himself. This is Resurrection Sunday. And so what's the right response? How are we supposed to be feeling, and, and what are we supposed to be thinking? Is this the day to think about new beginnings? Is that what Paul wants us to think about? Well, maybe, but that's pretty far down the list. He tells us here in this passage what he wants us to do with this information in response to the true historical reality that Jesus really did rise from the dead that he really did die for our sin and then rise again from the dead as Lord of all, Paul says in our third heading, hold fast to the gospel. This is the message that he writes at the start and the end of our passage. It's there in verses 1 and 2 and verse 11. Listen to verses 1 and 2. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. The Corinthians were still believing in this message. They still believed in Jesus' death for them and in his resurrection, but they were starting to doubt the promise that believers in Jesus will also be raised. That's what Paul's going to be dealing with in the rest of chapter 15. And Paul was worried that because of that, they might start letting go of Jesus' resurrection itself. They might have believed in vain. So he writes to remind them, wanting them to hold fast to the word. And then in verse 11, he finishes by saying, so we preach and so you believe. In other words, this is the gospel. This is how we're saved. You believed it when I came, keep believing it now. Don't let go, cling to the incredible resurrection story. As much as Bendigo loves its Easter festival, it'd be very happy if all this talk about Jesus just sort of went away. See, they love the idea of the dragon but they scoff at the idea of Jesus actually dying and rising again. They laugh at the idea. But look at what Paul said. Do you you see all these witnesses? Do you remember that Paul became a Christian within a year or two of all of this happening? See, this wasn't like Hercules, where stories develop over a long period of time. This was instantaneous. This was changed lives. Jesus' brother, Paul, these were disciples going from being terrified to boldly proclaiming Jesus' resurrection. Through the world's mocking, cling to this incredible resurrection story because it's true. And because it's true, the gospel is true. See, there's no other way to God. No other way to be saved. No other way to know God as Father. No other way to be truly cleansed of guilt and shame. This story is how you can know that God loves you. Don't give up on that love because the people around you want to make you feel embarrassed that you're a Christian. Or they want to dismiss you as ignorant and hateful. Jesus truly was raised. Meaning, he's the king who lives forever. He's the king who has promised to come back to claim those who are his. And to judge those who think he's a joke. They won't be laughing then. And you will be overjoyed that you clung to Jesus through their hatred and their mocking. That you clung to it for a few decades. So you would end up spending centuries, millennia, more with Jesus. Cling to the incredible resurrection story as you struggle with temptation. When you're tempted towards a romantic relationship with someone who doesn't know Jesus, and you're tempted towards that because they feel right and you're lonely, cling to the resurrection story. Jesus is the eternal king. He really does live. So what possible good reason could you have to disobey? As you struggle with your anger, your greed, your violence, with, with alcohol and drugs, with, with lies and gossip, cling to the incredible resurrection story. Paul did. And his life was completely changed because he began to live for the one who died for him and now lives forever. The gospel The death and resurrection of Jesus for our sins calls us to believe, to find forgiveness and live for the one who lives forever. The one who showed himself to so many people so that we could have confidence that he really is alive. Have you believed this good news? That the one who so loved sinners and died to save them is alive now. Who offers forgiveness and eternal life right now to those who trust him and love him. See, there's no better time than right now, today, to start believing. This is the day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead when he came to life again. This could also be the day that you truly come to life. So come to him now. Cling to the incredible resurrection story. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this story. And we thank you that it's true. That Jesus really is alive again. This was not made up by the disciples. This was not an invention by Paul. Jesus truly does live. And so by your Spirit, we pray that you would give us faith, that we would cling to the Lord Jesus, that we would know that this really is true, that the resurrection would encourage us and build us up, that we would cling to it through the hardships of our life, through the temptations that we face. Our God, give us faith, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm Jesse Walls from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church, and I pray you've been blessed as you've spent this time in God's word. Next week, we'd love to have you join us in person for our service at 10am. I hope to see you there. And as always, if you'd like to make a comment on what you've heard today, you have a question, or you're looking for a church, then please get in contact with us. Our website is eaglehawkpc.org.au. You can also contact us through Facebook or Instagram. God bless you.